Thanks for joining us today as you listen to a portion of a message recorded at Vine Life Church in Boulder, Colorado. If you'd like to connect with us further, you can visit us online at www.vinelife.com. Worked on it all at home. Ryan, Ryan suggested that a little bit ago, but I worked for a few hours on it. But. Okay, we have been talking off and on for several weeks about the kingdom of God. Jesus came to show us the kingdom. And, you know, when you read the kingdom of God is like, the kingdom of God is like, the kingdom over and over and over again as he gives us examples of what the kingdom of God is like, I think it becomes evident that we'd like to be in it, that we'd like to be part of that kingdom. But to be able to do it, we kind of have to be able to change our thinking. I think we have a slide that we used before um, about this, maybe. Yeah, so some of us look at that slide, and what we see is an old woman. And some of us look at the slide, and what we see is a young girl. And the last time I asked, it was about 50-50. But if you're going to see the young girl and you're seeing the older woman or the other way around, then you have to change how you think. You have to, do you see what I mean? You have to kind of change how you think. To see the kingdom of God, we have to change how we think, and we constantly have to because God's kingdom's unfolding. It's not static. It's continuing to unfold. The language we use is to see the kingdom of God. But we don't really mean that literally. We don't mean that visually seeing. What we really mean is to be in the kingdom of God. We want to be. We don't want to sit from afar and observe it. We want to be in the kingdom of God. And the kingdom of God is a matter of action, not a matter of geography. It's our action. To see the kingdom, we have to be the kingdom. Let's pray. Father God, thank you. Thank you that you gave your son for us. God, thank you that you've established your kingdom and gave him all authority in heaven and earth. God, thank you for your kingdom promise and your kingdom plan for each of us. Lord Jesus, we love you, and we want to see your glory, every manifestation of your eternal and perfect kingdom. Lord, we're grateful for your rule and reign, and we want to be like you. Holy Spirit, guide us today into the will of the Father. We know we need to change our thinking. We ask that you sharpen our discernment and bring revelation to us this morning, and we ask for comfort, Holy Spirit, when we're challenged by what is revealed. And we ask this all in your name, Jesus. Amen? Amen. Amen. So how do we think? You know, thinking um, outside of physical reflexes, like something coming at your eye or something like that, outside of that, everything that we do requires us to have a thought first. If you want to put your hand up, you've got to think that first. You know, it's not like, oh my gosh, I just, no, it's not like that. We think it, we don't just discover it. Thinking is the product, in a way, of three things. First, our beliefs. 
What do we feel is true? For example, I believe my car is still in the parking lot. Uh, I think it's inanimate. I'm trusting that he has a key. And it's not going anywhere. I believe that. The second piece of this is our attitudes. And by that, what I mean is our heart posture. Where's our heart? Our attitudes. Have you ever had a bad attitude? You ever had a good attitude? You ever had an attitude adjustment? Yeah. So attitudes is the second part. Uh, and the third part is the values. What are our values? Those overarching things that we accept as fundamental truths in our life. Some of them, war is bad, peace is good. Okay? Less filling, tastes great. No. They're overarching truths. They're big truths that we believe, like Jesus is Lord, that God is our Father, that we're redeemed, and we have new identity in Christ. Those are values. So those three interact, our beliefs, our values, and our attitudes, and they form our thinking. Now, if we live in a condition of needing to rethink, that was the word Jesus used, repent, remember, rethink, then the question becomes, those attitudes, values, and beliefs, how do we change what we're thinking? And there's really two main ways that we do that. And the first way is through discernment. And discernment is a process that we use to decide something. Usually we decide between things. We discern between truth and error, for example. We discern between right and wrong. And the Greek word um, is anakrino, which is a combination of two words. One means to decide or to judge, and the other word means between or among. So we anacrino things, and we take information, and we process that with insight. Do you see what I mean? It's, not, it's like the guy that called the airport. He called up the airport. He said, how long does it take to fly to Paris? The lady said, oh, just a minute, sir. He said, thanks. And he hung up. <laughs> he, th he thought he had the information. There's no insight. Any person would recognize you're not going to get to Paris in a minute except on Star Trek. So it's not going not to happen. So we combine information with insight and wisdom to arrive at a conclusion. And why? Paul gives us a really good picture of the idea of discernment. It's in uh, Philippians chapter 1, verses 9 through 11. And he writes to the church in Philippi, and he says this, And it's my prayer that your love may abound more and more, with knowledge and all discernment, so that you may approve what is excellent and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ. So the idea behind discernment is that you can use that to approve all that is good and excellent in your life. Make sense? That's the idea behind discernment. The second way that thinking is changed is by revelation. The Greek word for revelation is apocalypsis. And, you know, we get apocalypse and apocalyptic and those kinds of English descendants of that word. But the idea, the, the literal meaning of apocalypsis 
is to um, lay bare, be naked, um, or uncovering. And the core behind the idea is this. When we have revelation, what we experience is something that we could not have known. We could not have thought of. It's a voice from heaven. It's a prompting from heaven. It's an awareness from heaven. A good example of this is in uh, Matthew 16. Um, Jesus is talking with his guys, and, and here's what happens. When Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, Who do people say the Son of Man is? And they replied, Well, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and still others, Jeremiah or one of the prophets. But what about you, he asked. Who do you say I am? And Simon Peter, the bold guy, jumps out and he says, You are the Messiah, the Son of the living God. And Jesus replied, and he says this, and here's the point. He says, Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by my Father in heaven. He could not have known that. He couldn't have connected the dots. He wasn't Sherlock Holmes figuring all these things out. This came to him from heaven, just as things come to us from heaven in Revelation. And when they do, they change our thinking. Now, discernment, the way we provide insight and apply insight and wisdom to practical experience and information, discernment and revelation are interactive. They're hooked together. So I'm just curious, how many of you are familiar with uh, spreadsheets, computer spreadsheets like Excel? Okay, for those of you that aren't, the way these sheets work is they have a bunch of columns that are go up and down, and you put information in the columns, and have a bunch of rows that go back and forth across, and you put information in the rows. Okay? Well, the way it works for us in the spreadsheet of God's call in our life is that vertical column is the column where you'll find revelation. Revelation lives there. That's where we get words from heaven. Now, they may come through another person, Uh, They may come on a bumper sticker. I mean, these things happen in a lot of ways, but they're coming from heaven to us vertically. Discernment is when we use what God gave us to be able to think. We're the only, I say this so many times, we're the only thing that exists that's free of instinct. We're the only thing. Everything else is a prisoner of whatever instinct God put into them, but we're free of instinct. We have the ability to think. So we can look at others and see their experiences and discern, well, that's good for them, or that's bad, or that's a mistake, or that's a this or a that. So we have vertical revelation, heaven to earth, and we have horizontal discernment relationally, person to person, thought to thought. And that's part of the spreadsheet, if you will, of life. Now, Jesus said we need to sort of examine and think and change our thinking. And why is it important? Well, here's why I think it's important. Um, If you look at Matthew chapter 28, verses 16 to 20, you will encounter the Great Commission. 
That's what you'll find there. And, and it says that uh, Jesus came to them and, and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore, go, go therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I'm with you always. This is a really big, rich scripture. And maybe starting from the back, the reason it's called the Great Commission is because it's a co-mission. We don't go by ourselves. Jesus says, I'll be with you. I'll be with you always, even unto the end of the age. Now, I imagine everybody's got a good sense of baptizing. Uh, Probably all here have seen it. Probably most have experienced it. But what about discipling? What is it about being a disciple? What, what does that really mean? Being a disciple of Jesus means that we follow him, we continue his ministry, and we become more like him along the way. That's discipling. That's what we're talking about. So Jesus said this. He said, a disciple is not above his teacher. But everyone, when he's fully trained, will be like his teacher. How could we ever make disciples if we're not disciples? How can you give away something you don't have? So we have to become disciples. We have to imitate Christ. We have to continue his ministry and become more like him in order to satisfy the command of go. Make disciples. You can't make one unless you are one can't do it. It would be like me telling Megan what her C-section is going to be like. I've never experienced that. So I can't give away what I don't have. And we can't do that in discipling either. Paul, in his letter to the church at Ephesus, uh, talks about the source and the process and the outcome of discipling. Uh, And you'll find it in uh, Ephesians 4 verses 11 through 13, and he says this, And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and the teachers, and here's the point, to equip the saints for the work of ministry, building up the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of faith and the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. So, What's Paul saying here? Well, he's saying that equipping, we're the saints, he's saying that equipping is where we begin our discipleship path. And the purpose of it is to attain unity and the measure of the stature of Christ. If that's discipleship, then what is mission? See, I'm really talking about four things today. I'm talking about revelation. I'm talking about discernment. I'm talking about discipleship. And I'm talking about mission. So what is mission? Well, being a disciple, or uh, excuse me, uh, from a kingdom perspective, what mission is is when we come into relationship with a person or persons, we walk with them, with discernment and revelation, and we journey 
to where God wants them to be. That's mission. And it can happen in a lot of different, different ways, and we'll talk about this, a bit of it in a moment. You see, the core of the entire narrative of Scripture is missional. It's the story of God's journey with His people leading us to the promise that He has for us, the purpose and the destiny. That's what it's all about. God is leading us on mission. And when we disciple others, we start to send them on mission, and that's what we call the good news. That's the good news. Now, the word mission can be problematic. Okay, for example, mission can uh, raise up the next kind of word, which is missionary. Now, for some, the idea of being a missionary evokes a picture of someone who's insensitive, overbearing, well-meaning, uh, culturally clueless, uh, who goes somewhere and manages to offend everybody. For others of us, that idea of being a missionary can invoke a picture of sacrifice, inconvenience, deprivation. So that word missionary is a, is a bit of a hot word that uh, resonates in us in different ways. If you go to the dictionary, uh, most secular dictionaries, the uh, definition that you'll encounter involving a missionary pertains to Christians or other religious people who go to foreign lands and uh, tell the people in the foreign land about their religion or their particular flavor of religion. This is really common, and it's not surprising, because if you think about how the church developed, it's exactly what happened. Everybody went to a, a foreign land and, and brought the good news and made disciples and baptized and taught all that was commanded. But there's more to the idea of being a missionary than going to a foreign land. Look at Jesus. Jesus didn't go to a foreign land. I don't know that he ever traveled more than 25 or 30 miles from where he was born. He was born a Jew. He was born in Judea. He was raised up in the Jewish culture, in the Jewish language, in the Jewish practices. He didn't go anyplace foreign at all. Do we have a mission? Well, this is a good place for us to broaden our thinking, you know, because our mission might be that we need to show our neighbors the goodness of God. That could be our mission. It could be right on your cul-de-sac. But if we do that, if we do that, then we're starting a process that is going to require that we be discipled. And here's why. When you show the goodness of God to people, it's not like you run up and dance around them chanting, God is good, God is good. No, you don't do that kind of thing. You, you love them. You love them. It's what Jesus said, a new command I give you. Love one another as I've loved you, love one another. And when you do that, you're ultimately going to get a question. In some form or another, you're going to get a question, and you're going to need to be prepared to answer it. And to answer it, you need to be equipped. 
you need to be equipped because what's your purpose? To make a disciple. To bring somebody into discipleship. The question will open the door for us to be more Christ-like. Now, questions are funny things. I will tell you, uh, when my kids were small, I felt that I had pretty much all the answers. Yeah, I did. I thought I had pretty much all the answers. The problem is, they weren't asking. And so, you realize, <laughs> the, the benefit of your answer is really very much determined by the sincerity of the question. So if, if we sat down at the dinner table and I turned to my daughter and said 3.14, she'd say, huh? And um, I'd say, yeah, 3.14. And she'd say, what's that? And I said, well, that's pi. That's what you wanted to know, wasn't it? No, I didn't want to, I didn't want to know pi, Dad. I want to know something else. So when you have questions, you... You have to look at a question in the form that it takes. For example, everybody here knows I walk around here every Sunday morning, right? I see everybody. I shake your hand. I say hi, bump fists, whatever it may be. And when I'm doing that, uh, I'm doing what God asked me to do. And you also know that when I speak with you, often I'll ask questions, not theological questions. I don't deliver scriptural nuggets walking around the room. Usually it's more things like, how about them Broncos? Right? Or, are you enjoying the summer? Don't you wish it had stopped snowing? Don't you wish it had start snowing? Whatever it may be, those are normal, mundane, everyday questions. But what they give rise to is relationship. And when you have relationship, you have the foundation for trust and for transparency. And because of that, what happens is when I walk around, I probably get several, five, maybe ten opportunities to bring an encouraging word to somebody or to pray with somebody about something. And so my mundane questions don't carry a lot of theological weight, but they carry a tremendous amount of spiritual freedom. Do you imagine you could ask those kinds of questions where you work, in your break room, to the neighbor, to somebody in line in a store? How about them Broncos? Gee, it's hot outside. Summer's going by fast. Who are we going to elect president? No, don't ask that question. That's, that's a tough question to be asking. But do you see what I mean? You could do this. You could do this. And in asking those questions, you begin to establish relationship. Jesus goes to a well in Samaria, Samaria and he counts, encounters a woman, and he says, uh, how about a drink? And that question unleashed quite a bit, didn't it? It unleashed quite a bit. Just by asking the question, what would your question unleash? And are you discipled enough to be ready to answer what God is going to bring up out of that apparently mundane conversation. So on our personal spreadsheet, which is about our destiny and our purpose, you'll also find, in addition to discernment, in addition to revelation, discipleship and mission. Discipleship 
you will find in the vertical columns, and mission you will find in the horizontal columns. So when you look at the vertical columns, what you're going to see is this. You're going to see revelation, heaven to earth. You're going to see discipleship, pursuit of Jesus, earth to heaven. And on the horizontal, you're going to see discernment using wisdom and insight to be a blessing to others. And you're going to find mission, the purpose of why you're doing that. Does that make sense? Can you see it that way? Because we're called to be on a mission. We're not called to go to church. I mean, I'm glad you're here. I hate talking to an empty room. That wouldn't be any fun. But we're not called. Jesus didn't say, go join a church. He didn't say, go start a church. He didn't even say, go do good deeds that way outside of the gospel. Because good deeds outside of the gospel aren't fully good. That should make everybody think, hmm, what did he just say? Well, why does this matter? Why is it important at all? Why would I use up, I don't know, 20 minutes of your time this morning to talk about it? And here's why. Jesus specifically tells us to live in discipleship and to move in action. In the sixth chapter of Luke, he challenges us with a question. Why? I like that. Why? Why do you call me Lord, Lord, but not do what I say? And he goes on to talk about doing what I say is like a man who builds a house. He digs deep for a foundation, and when the storms come, the house will prevail. Not doing what I say is like a man who built his house without a foundation, and when the torrents come, the house is washed away, and the destruction is great. That's why it's important for us. We have to understand fundamentally that we are here on mission, not just in Africa or places like that. We're on mission here to all those around us. The world is full of people, all of whom have been reconciled to God. Jesus reconciled everybody to the Father with his blood. But they're not yet redeemed. They haven't come into the knowing of that. That's why we have to be on mission. It's there. It's right there for them. But it is us on mission that will make that happen and allow them to access what's available. So... Let's take a minute and just give some thought to this. A couple of questions. At this point in your life, where you are, because we're all in different places, at this point in your life, what would be uh, being a more of a disciple look like? If you were to be more of a disciple than you are right now, what would that look like for you? How could your life journey be more on mission than it is right now? Some of us are intensively on mission and some of us aren't. What could that be like? What could that be like for us to be on mission, in action for the kingdom of God? And lastly, what are some of the thoughts, your beliefs, your attitudes, your values to get in the way of that. 
What are the things that are holding you back from being more of a disciple and from being more on mission? We're handing out some little cards, little three-by-five cards and pencils, and we want them pencils back, by the way. Uh, We're handing those out so that you can take a moment here before the Lord and just inquire, examine yourself and say, yeah, what, what is it that, that I could do to be a better follower of Christ? What is it I could do to better continue his ministry? What is it I could do to become more like him? How could I go on mission? Who's calling to me? Is it my next door neighbor or my boss or coworker? Is it the person at the store? Who is it? How could I be on mission for them? Now, as you're writing these things down, I just write down the first couple. I imagine most of us, we got a list about eight feet long, and the card's not big enough for that. But just write down a couple of the first ones that hit you. How, how could I be more of a disciple? What's holding me back? How could I go on mission? What's holding me back? Years ago, I worked for a company that was headquartered in St. Louis and had about 10,000 employees. It was a big company, and I ran one division of the company, uh, which was rather small. Uh, I was a vice president. I think the guy at Buff the Florist was probably a vice president, too. There There were lots of them, so it wasn't a big deal. But I had occasion to go to St. Louis frequently, And usually when I went, I would have dinner at uh, my boss's house. He he owned the company. He founded it. He was the first employee. And I had a beautiful home, of course. And so one time I go to his house, and I step through the door, and it looks like Bruce Almighty. Have you seen the movie Bruce Almighty? Remember the post-its? Zillions of post-its everywhere. That's the way the inside of his house looked. And by every light switch, doorknob, refrigerator handle, probably in the bathroom, I didn't look, were all these little yellow post-its, and written on them were the words, Do it now. And it was his handwriting. I recognized it. So at dinner, uh, being diplomatic and tactful, things finally worked around where I could inquire about why all these post-its were stuck everywhere. And he told me an interesting thing. He said, You know... I had to change my thinking. I came to a place in my life where I found I was procrastinating. I came to a place in my life where I found that uh, I was avoiding things. And so I needed to change my thinking. So I wrote all those post-its and I stuck them every place where I go. That I would have in front of my mind, written on the forehead of my heart, so to speak, do it now. Whatever you have on these little cards, or whatever comes from this later, take them home, get some post-its or whatever you'd like to use, and write down the things you want to change, and write them down in the affirmative way. Don't write down, I'm going to try to stop being a lazy bum, okay? (laughs) Write down, I'm not a lazy person. I'm an energetic person. And put them everywhere. Put them everywhere. And you will begin to change your thinking. And as you start to change your thinking, you're like a boat moving. 
a car move. You know, God can't steer a parked car. Even God can't. It's got to be moving. So if you go into motion and you start to change your thinking, you'll begin to see the kingdom. And you'll begin to see how you fit in it and what the promises are for you. So let's pray. Lord, we ask for your blessing on everything we've written today, the things that we're thinking that we haven't written, and the things you'll show us as we go on in our life. We want your kingdom to come, Lord. We want your will to be done. God, help each of us to examine our hearts and align what we discern and what you reveal to us in not just our understanding, but also our actions. Help us to see what you're seeing, God. Help us to care about what you care about. Help us to take our place in your kingdom. Amen? You know, in the Gospel of Luke, we see a couple of interesting contrasts. We see lots of things in the Gospel of Luke. But in chapter 3, we get a picture of John the Baptist. And he's uh, at the Jordan, and he's baptizing. And people show up, and John... You know, John was the last of the great prophets. Remember, John didn't have the kingdom. He didn't know anything about the kingdom yet because Jesus hadn't revealed the kingdom yet. But he knew about the king. He knew about the Messiah. So all these people show up to get baptized, and John greets them by saying, What are you doing here, you brood of vipers? Who warned you? And he lights into them. And he says, Even now the axe is laid to the tree that doesn't produce fruit, and don't bring up Abraham. God can raise children to Abraham out of a stone, right? You remember all that? He tears into them. And they're like, whoa, pretty shook. And they say, well, okay, uh, what should we do? This fascinates me. What does he answer? He answers completely in behavioral terms, in performance terms. He says, if you have two tunics, give one to someone who doesn't. If you're a soldier, don't extort money from people. Accept your wage. And on and on he goes. If you're a tax collector, collect only what's due. Two chapters later, in the fifth chapter, we encounter Jesus. Now, in the third chapter, John spoke to the fruit of repentance. He used the same word that Jesus used when he came and said, repent. When he announced the beginning, repent, rethink, the kingdom of heaven draws nigh, draws near, is among us, between us, and all around us. Repent. Change your thinking. Change your thinking. That's what he said. So in the fifth chapter of Luke, we see Jesus, and he's teaching. He's teaching at a lake, and there's two boats there, and the fishermen are not in the boats yet. They're washing their nets, I guess. Maybe they're washing them in the boat. In any case, he jumps into one of the boats, Peter's, and he teaches from the boat. And when he's through teaching, he says to Peter, Take your boat out to deep water and throw your net over the side. And Peter's like, Master, we did that all last night. And it didn't work out very well, but okay, okay, I'll do it. I'll do it. So out they go, and as you know, they catch so many fish, they have to get their partners, James and John, and their boat, their fishing partners, to come out. And even then, there's so many fish, it almost, almost sinks both the boats. So they make it back to shore. And Jesus says to them, he says, come with me 
and become fishers of men. So what Jesus did is he did not call them into performance. He called them into identity. See, John called people out. That's what big-time prophets do. He called them out. But Jesus called them up. And that's what he does with us every day. He calls us up into our promise, into our purpose, and into our destiny. Right? Amen. Amen. Thank you, guys. Ed, could you come up for a minute? Uh, we need to get Ed a mic. Do you have a mic for him, by any chance? Uh, you know, a couple of weeks ago, Tiana uh, Miller-Jackson left, went to Singapore to get her Ph.D., and um, so we released her, and we blessed her, and we said it's a bittersweet thing, but as an, as an apostolic house, we're always going to have people called to other places, and so we want to pray for and bless another couple, Vern and Alyssa McRoberts, who are here somewhere. Come on up, you guys, wherever you are. Hope they're still here. Uh, half of them are here. Okay, and mom's back there too. If you want to come, Janet, sure, come on up. Mom is fired up. And the reason is this. They're going to Maui, I think it is, right? Kona. They're going to Kona. Sounds good. And it's not uh, drink coffee. Uh, they're going to serve in the YWAM base there. And so we're real excited. It is bittersweet. We hate to lose them. They've been in part of this family for a long time. Uh, and they've served, they've served in Kids Quest, they've served in places I don't even know. So let's just take a moment. Bless you guys. Come on up. Hey, Mom. Yeah, first I just want to thank you. Uh, you've for what you poured into our kids over this past season. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, just the, the, the grace and the space and the love that was evident, you know, when we'd go down there, we'd be there and see you, and yeah. And I, um, so I just thank you for your hearts that just continue on in this place of service in this place of mission, you know, in that space that Bob was talking about. You held that for our kids, discipleship and mission and those things. We believe it in the space you're moving to. So first I want to congratulate you for graduating from college and getting your nursing degree. Mm -hmm. and, uh, and that, uh, you know, it's your desire to use that um, in service, you know, and moving and to help people in many ways. So I'm just going to pray for you if you can. And if people want to join us, that's fine. And come up. Come on if you want to put some hands on these guys. And I want to go to Hawaii. I don't want to just yeah. send them. Is there room in a suitcase? <laughs> Father, we thank you for uh, your children your son and your daughter and their children, Lord, this family, this ongoing family, Lord God. Uh, we thank you that from their mother and on, Lord Jesus, brothers, that you have created a depth 
Lord, in a, in, a, in a DNA and in a generation of people, Lord, that keeps going deeper. So we thank you for that, God, and we bless it in their lives. We bless the depth of you. You, you have put your mission in their hearts, your life in their hearts, and we thank you for that, God. We thank you to watch over them as they go, care for them and keep them safe, Lord God, in your presence. Uh, thank you for the beauty of their minds, that they would see you, Lord, in ways that, uh, as Bob was saying, that things haven't, they haven't seen before. They'd come to know you in ways they haven't known before. And we thank you for the impact, Lord, uh, on, that they will have on people, Lord, those who are aware of you and those who aren't. Lord, we bless their their time in training in YWAM and the relationships that they'll be building there. We bless them, Lord, in employment in the hospital, uh, hospitals in, in Hawaii, and their desire to serve on ships or in other places, Lord God, that you call them uh, to bring health and healing. We thank you, God, for uh, the understanding that Vern has right now uh, being a nurse, Lord, and we thank you that your healing would move through him in every way, naturally and supernaturally, Lord God, to uh, so that people would come to know um, the living God on this earth. We just praise you, Lord. We thank you again for their hearts. Watch over them. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen.